Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 980, air date August 4th, 2021. Good evening, everyone. It's Dr. Shiva Ayadure. I hope everyone's having a good evening. It's around 7.30 today, Eastern Standard Time. Tomorrow, we have a very important hearing coming up in federal court, and I wanted to update everyone on what's going on. This is our lawsuit. It's a historic First Amendment lawsuit, and I want to encourage everyone to, it's open to the public. You can go on to Zoom, but you have to register, and I recommend everyone, if you want to listen to the hearing, and I'll come back to this again as people are joining, that in order to register, you, there's a link that you can go below on the description if you're seeing this on Facebook or um, if you're seeing it on uh, YouTube or what's the other stuff we're on, uh, or Twitch, etc. There's a description um, and you can go there and you can click on that link and then you have to register if you want to go to the Zoom hearing to choose August 4th, Wednesday, which is tomorrow, and then to choose the judge that's presiding over the hearing is Judge Wolf. So if you want to go to the hearing, um, please go there and join us. Um, but let me give you sort of the broad, uh, what I want to do today is to cover a couple of things. First of all, I want to focus everyone on what is this lawsuit actually about? Okay, so we're going to start with that. What is this lawsuit fundamentally about? And what it means to you and every American citizen, for that matter, every citizen in the world, so that's number one. The second thing is I want to talk about the aspects of the lawsuit, three aspects that this lawsuit uncovered, starting when I went to the first hearing where I was representing myself on August, um, October 30th, 2020, then of the events that occurred on May 20th to 21st, and the eve of that on May 20th to 21st, 2021, and subsequently what has occurred uh, in June and July when we discovered what was called the Long Fuse Report, all right? So some of you listening on here, you can be posting on the comments, you know, if people want to get into the hearing tomorrow, how they can do it, it's out there. All right, so that's what I, and, but then the most important thing I want to cover today is the fact how these defendants, the defendants are the people we're opposing, the election officials and government actors are freaking out in fact, they're so freaked out that they're in their most recent motions, they're asking that the court, this is all public, by the way, everything I'm sharing is public information, none of it's insider information, as you know, it's in the public domain, is that they're asking the court seal the entire lawsuit, seal it, and which means they, this lawsuit is about the First Amendment and they're violating the First Amendment. And to show the level of hubris that these people have, they are demanding that the court actually seal the lawsuit, which is to protect the First Amendment. So think about that. I want everyone to just think about that. That is a level of viciousness of these defendants at being exposed at what this lawsuit has singularly discovered for the American people. So let us talk about that. And by the way, for those of you who want to understand the lawsuit, you know, I created a page at winbackfreedom.com. Everyone wants to go to that. You go to winbackfreedom.com. There it is. 
And over here, if you type in win back freedom, it'll take you to this page. And this is the lawsuit. The imagery that we've done is that we have the history of all the people's movements that have ever taken place. And here is the, you know, the symbol of the establishment wanting to step us out and what, why we must fight. So that's at winbackfreedom.com. But one of the important aspects of this lawsuit is that we are, we have no illusions. We want to wake up everyone to understand that we have lost our first amendment. We've lost it. We need to get over this illusion that we actually have the first amendment anymore. But in the age of modern technology and what this lawsuit has discovered, we have lost the first amendment. And what happened to me and which can happen to, I was a canary in the coal mine that they tested out the infrastructure that we discovered over the period of the last nine months, this lawsuit step-by-step step, peeling away the onion, we've uncovered the enterprise the of relationships and infrastructure that these defendants architected and deployed to silence a U.S. Senate candidate. This lawsuit is actually very, very simple. Let me tell you how simple this lawsuit is. And you may want to take some notes on it. This is how simple this lawsuit is, okay? This lawsuit is about a United States Senate candidate in this case, me, Dr. Shiva Adure, being silenced, silenced by government officials because I challenged their violation of federal law. Let me repeat that again. This in the middle of my run for U.S. Senate. I'll repeat that again. This lawsuit is about a U.S. Senate candidate, Dr. Shiva Adure, and it could be you tomorrow, anyone, any, any American, in the midst of his U.S. Senate cam campaign, being silenced for challenging election officials, government officials, for violating federal law. That's what this is about. It's the most despicable, destructive violation of the First Amendment. I was running for U.S. Senate. And in the middle of that run, I challenged these election officials for violating federal law. They had deleted ballot images, which are supposed to be preserved for 22 months. My campaign, starting on September 1 until November 3rd, was about stopping election fraud. And in a series of email interactions with the Secretary of State's office, specifically the state election director, Michelle Tassinari, who's a public who's a public official, by the way. Her name's out there. She's been out there, right? Anyone can look her up. And that election official took it upon herself through a series of email interactions to admit that she deleted ballot images, which are supposed to be preserved for 22 months. And when I exposed that on Twitter, she took it upon herself using this infrastructure, which we're going to go over, which what, what was discovered to silence a U.S. Senate candidate. It is the grossest form of the violation of the First Amendment. So that's the first element of this simplicity of this lawsuit. Second, what this lawsuit uncovered through the process of filing the complaints is first on October 30th, we uncovered, first thing we uncovered 
is that the government, first time historic was uncovered by this lawsuit and by all of you who supported the efforts here, was on October 30th in a series of about a four hour hearing, it was uncovered that the government has created a special trusted Twitter partnership. They get their own VIP portal called the Partner Support Portal, PSP, where government can silence any American citizen, including political candidates, right? That's the first thing our lawsuit discovered. Never before known to the broad mass of American people. That was on October 30th. When the judge heard about that, he ordered them to stop interfering and stop contacting Twitter. Well, it was too late between September 25th and, and November 3rd, I was essentially locked out of Twitter in the heat of my campaign with nearly over, you know, close to 300, 350,000 followers. It was my source of raising money, reaching out to use my megaphone. This is the grossest, again, violation of the First Amendment. So that was on October 30th. November 4th, I get back on Twitter. You know, we've already lost a month in the election. Election's over. And then I start tweeting again. And on February 1st, when I shared again those four email screenshots exposing the fact that they violated federal law, on February 1st, within 17 minutes, I'm thrown off Twitter. We went back into court. The judge at that point said, I want you to bring in Twitter if you want complete relief. We never brought in Twitter. We were going after the government. Following judge's orders, on May 20th and 21st, there was a series of almost 10, almost 20 hours of hearings. Me representing myself the night before, let me bring this up, we discovered the following document. And the document that we discovered was a set of playbooks. And those playbooks, there's four of them, which were actually authored by these defendants. They kept mum on it. They never told the court that they were the authors. So that was on May 19th. This is the election influence operations playbook that I had uncovered, which created at Belfer Center, the authors of it being these defendants. But what's important about this playbook is what comes out in this playbook is that they have created an infrastructure where they can brand people as influence operators. And they've created a system. First, they anticipate that you're coming, which means surveil you. Then they figure out after you're being surveilled, how to identify and assess you, how to respond to you and to continue monitoring you. So the playbook lays this out. And what we shared with the judge on May 20th and 21st was very clearly how they have an infrastructure, how they have severity levels. And we go to that. They actually have the Twitter partner portal right there, as you can see it. They describe it. And as you go through this, they say, know your threats. And they actually have a place here where they say that you can keyword tag people. And then they actually go through here and they document in gross detail how you assess severity. And there it says in gross detail that you see if they're an established voice, which is what I was. Do they have credibility? I think a guy with MIT, four degrees, a Fulbright scholar is credible and my volume of engagement. So I was right in their crosshairs. And then once you assess their severity, you can rate someone as high, medium and low according to this it appears I was rated as high. 
and then how you respond to them, okay? So this is a play-by-play -play manual for how you deal with people who have influence and it goes against the narrative. And here you can see it gives you gross detail. One of the things it says is continue media and digital monitoring for high severity threats, which is what I was, all right? So let me come back to this. So that was a playbook and there's four of them. I'm only sharing you one of them. So we presented that in court. The, the judge said, submit that as evidence. That was on May 20th, 21st. The court actually said that this lawsuit on 21st will more than likely be an exam that will be taught in every constitutional law class. That was how important the judge saw this lawsuit and the discoveries we made from that playbook itself. And then I was asked if I wanted to take on a lawyer. You have to understand I was doing all this at great expense to me, my family, um, all of you have helped. We did it on our own without lawyers. On May 20th, 21st, it was me against seven lawyers. So the judge recommended I potentially get a lawyer to help out. And I said, you know, judge, I wasn't doing that because I lost Twitter. I couldn't even raise money. And through the generosity of people here, we said, hey, donate $1. So we brought in the lawyer. And we had to get rid of that lawyer, which is all public right now. And the... Oh, we had substantial disagreements. And we had to bring in a new lawyer at the last minute. We asked for extension because on July 15th, I had to file papers. Well, you know, bringing on a new lawyer, we needed an extension. We only got a one week extension. On July 22nd, with a great amount of my work and my lawyer who was on vacation, <laughs> You know, even while he was on vacation, we filed a lot of documents. It's a lot of work, guys. We did that. Well, after we filed those documents, part of what we discovered when we filed those documents, you've heard about October 30th, we figured out the Twitter partner support portal. We figured out these playbooks and the manual to suppress speech. But on June 28th, one of our volunteers had discovered something even more profound. She had discovered what is called the long fuse report. Okay, let me bring that up. The long fuse report, okay? And the long fuse report is a document that was written in June on June 15th, and here it is. And the long fuse report literally documents the fact that since June of 2020, I was being surveillance by the government. Let me repeat that again. And this is written by one of these think tanks. And by the way, today, the establishment doesn't care anymore. They want to see, do you care about freedom? They openly tell you, we're screwing you, we're watching you, we're going to violate your First Amendment. And the issue is, do the American people, do you want freedom anymore? Because we've lost it. And what we found out in the Long Fuse report was that I was one of six major people, six people in the United States, entities who was being surveillanced and was considered a repeat spreader. I was in their crosshairs since June of 2020. I guess they found me interesting, an MIT guy who's beyond left and right, 
whose long form videos like this were going viral. People were listening. People want to be educated. They just don't want sound bites. And my tweets would refer to my videos. So they considered me a threat. They considered me a threat, according to this report, the same level as people like Trump. In fact, my, I was considered a repeat spreader of quote unquote misinformation, according to them. So in the long fuse report, I wanna point out a couple of things. Ken, maybe you can give me those pages that I wanted. Nine. So if you go to this long fuse report and you go to page nine of this long fuse report, okay, I'm gonna go to page nine. Bring it up here. Uh, I may have to do this. It's a little bit slow. Okay, so let me go to page nine of the Long Fuse Report. So on page nine of the Long Fuse Report, let me bring up what it says. And every American should be reading this. So this is done by what it says is, these people are actually very, very upset that America is decentralized, okay? These election officials and people who wrote this report, again, this was found in June, uh, on June 28th, while well, we have to submit all this. And what we discover is that the, this report is looking back from June 15th backward, and they have me in their crosshairs I'm in that report 22 times, U.S. Senate candidate being surveillanced by the United States government. And the Long Fuse report in its opening chapters, which let me go to right here, it clearly says in black and white, look what it says, U.S. elections are decentralized. Almost 10,000 state and local officials are primarily responsible for the operation of elections which is what, that's how the founders wanted it to be, highly decentralized. Dozens of federal agencies support this effort, including cybersecurity information, infrastructure security agency within the Department of Homeland Security, which is what Trump signed into law, okay? Let's not forget that. The United States Election Assistance Commission, okay, US EAC, the FBI, the Department of Justice, and the Department of Defense. But look what it says, however, this is what I want people to see, however, None of these federal agencies has a focus on or authority regarding election misinformation originating from domestic sources within the United States. So what they're saying is not all these organizations are too decentralized. They don't have a centralized way for watching you and I, okay? Quote, unquote, election misinformation. And by the way, these people who are unelected officials are going to tell you and me that they are the gods that are gonna decide what is misinformation and disinformation, okay? Again, I ask everyone listening, do you still want the First Amendment? Because these people do not want it. All right, and let me go back. So what does it say here? So that's what it says. It says, none of these federal agencies has a focus on election misinformation. The, this limited federal role reveals a critical gap for non-governmental entities to fulfill. See this right here? This limited federal, which means they're openly telling 
that we need to create non-governmental people who will watch us. So this is the blueprint, okay? Next page is what, Ken? 19. 19. So let me go to page 19 here. Now on page 19 of this document, again, it's all laid out in the beginning why they're doing this, okay, and what they did do. And by the way, here, the contributors, one of these people actually went and defamed me on Wikipedia saying I'm a pseudoscientist. This is all coordinated. This guy, Ashwin Ramaswamy, okay? Then over here, page, let me go to page 19. On page 19, again, it continues, okay? Look what it says here. Elections in the United States are highly decentralized. Over 10,000 individual jurisdictions covering state, county, and municipal levels are responsible for administrating the vote on election day. All right, and it says there is no centralized support to aid the vast number of jurisdictions in identifying, responding to emerging election-related misinformation and disinformation. Again, let me, so again, they're laying out that, hey, we need a way to watch people in a centralized way because all these elections are highly decentralized, which is the way the founders wanted again. I, I have to repeat that, okay? And then let me go, and this is a coup d'etat, which is against us on this. Look what it says here. It says again, let me zoom this so you can see guys clearer. Look what it says right here. It says, yet, it says responsibility for election information security is divided across government offices. CISA has authority to coordinate on cybersecurity issues. The FBI to investigate cyber incidents and enforce election laws. Yet no government agency in the United States has the explicit mandate to monitor and correct election misinformation. This is especially true for election disinformation that originates, everyone listen to this, within the United States, which would likely be excluded from law enforcement action under the First Amendment and not appropriate for study by intelligence agencies restricted from operating inside the United States. As a result, during the 2020 election, local and state election officials who had a strong part in election systems and overall cybersecurity effects in CISA were without a clearinghouse for assessing misinformation targeting their vote representation. Do you see what they're saying here? They're saying, look, the laws of the United States don't allow us to surveil and blacklist and spy on Americans and silence domestic speech, but we need to figure out a way to circumvent that, right? They're laying it out, guys. So when, when we went through this document, 300-page document, they describe in gross detail that since June of 2020, they were surveilling me, a U.S. Senate candidate, 24 by 7 with four-hour call center shifts. It's all in there. They describe in these 300 pages, their ticketing system, et cetera. Let me repeat again. I'm a U.S. citizen. You're a U.S. citizen. The First Amendment did not give these people the right to surveil, blacklist, and silence us. We are domestic. They recognize that, wow, we've created this infrastructure against foreign people, but we want to use that against Americans domestically in the United States. So we needed to circumvent that. So when you connect all the details, and they spell it out step by step how they do this, and you connect it to the playbook, and me as an engineering systems guy, with the help of our volunteers, 
No lawyers helped us out. We did it. We put together from everything that's publicly available. Everything that we have here is publicly available. And what we discovered is the people, the unelected election officials, unelected government actors. You didn't, you didn't elect them, I didn't. But they have created an infrastructure, which I'm gonna share with you right here. And this is that diagram. And in this diagram, what do you see here? You see the diagram where the, the main defendant, which is this woman, Michelle Tassinari, right here. And they don't even, they, they, they want us to hide these people's names. These people are public officials. She is the one, again, let me repeat what happened on September 25th. In an email interaction with Michelle Tassinari, four email screenshots, she is admitting that she deleted ballot images. I'm in the middle of my US Senate campaign. I challenge the fact that she violated federal law. She contacted through this infrastructure, we came to find out through the Twitter portal, and then as we found out more and more, to silence me. And as this lawsuit uncovered this, including what I'm sharing with you, we figured out she's not just some simple state election director collecting 140K a year income. She's far more than that. And who is she? Well, this lawsuit was the one to discover, and you can follow her. She is also, as you can see here, the president of the National Association of State Election Directors. She's an advisory board member on the MIT Elections and Data and Science Laboratory. Not bad for someone who's got a history, Bachelor of Science in History. She's on the executive committee of CISA over here with four other people. CISA is that organization that they talk about in the Long Fuse Report which was created to basically build this whole infrastructure to several blacklist and silence people. And she's one of the four people on the executive committee, all right? She's also, and by the way, if you look in the description, you, can, you guys can go find this diagram. She's also over here in the election assistant commission. And she's over here at the Belfer Center as an author of the playbooks and all of these they did not reveal to the court. They did not inform the court. And this is, by the way, there's Democrat and Republican. And over here, when she contacted, Michelle Tassinari contacted Amy Cohen, who's the executive director of NASID. And she contacted her and she ain't some just executive director. She's also wired, okay? She was one, she's listed as one of the custodians, you know, the co-founder of the Center for Election Innovation Research, which got $50 million from Mark Zuckerberg. So Amy Cohen ain't some little person in DC. She's wired. She's also over here on a board member, uh, you know, on the advisory committee of the Global Cyber Alliance, which includes all of these very, and more people here. These people are the ones who wrote the Long Fuse Report. All right. In fact, there's Chris Krebs here. He also helped write the Long Fuse Report. These are academics out of Stanford and Washington, all unelected election officials. And in March of 21, this guy, Eric Rosenbach, former chief of staff at the Defense Department, him, Amy Cohen, and Jim Condos gave a hearing 
at the Senate Intelligence Committee on March 21st, 2018. You can go find it. It's all publicly available. I'm just a systems guy. Put it all together. And that's what we train our students to do, to do systems. Well, they're out there at the Senate hearing basically saying we need to create CISA. And Eric Rosenbaum, quote unquote, says federal government must oversee social media. You see, this was planned in 2018. They created the infrastructure and the defendants in this case were all part of it. And more importantly, they created these documents. These are the operating manuals. Let me go back to this. They created the operating manuals. Okay. Our lawsuit is what discovered it. Tucker Carlson didn't do it. Glenn Greenwald didn't do it. Cuomo didn't do it. And by the way, these guys know about it, but they don't want to talk about it. It's too hot for them. Okay. They want to talk about stuff that's a year old because now it's, you know, opportune to talk about them. And this, these documents were then used. If you go through this diagram by these organizations, the state department over here, NASID, which is a state election lo local officials. And over here, Homeland Security and CISA, who then, whenever they have a problem with people like me, guess what they do? They contact this infrastructure called ISAC, I-S-A-C, which is connected to the Twitter partner support portal, which is run by a nonprofit. This is called laundering censorship, funded by guys over here, including Pierre Omidyar, the founder of eBay. Okay, so this entire infrastructure was blueprinted and built so government can launder censorship to silence people. And by the way, the deputy general counsel at Twitter, this woman, Stacia Cardilla, filed a fake affidavit, a fabricated affidavit saying that, oh, they took me off Twitter on February 1st, right? First, they took me off September 25th and February 1st when I shared those four email screenshots of Tassinari. As though, and she gave a fabricated story. Oh, Dr. Shiva's tweet came in. We had people reviewing it. It took us three days and we decided to take them off. Well, they took me off. We have the email with at 9.31 uh, p.m. is when, at 9, I think 9.21 p.m. is when I ended my lecture sharing those four email screenshots on February 1st. And at 9.38 p.m., I was the platform. I have the email. She lied. Within 17 minutes, I was taken off. And the long fuse report says how they did that. They had four hour call center shifts, 24 by seven. So why am I sharing all of this? Because what you're seeing here is this lawsuit has discovered the entire enterprise. This is why our lawsuit, if you go read it, it is about holding these public officials personally accountable and that they were running a civil RICO enterprise, an enterprise to obstruct justice, me from exposing them. That's what our lawsuit says. This is not just about getting on Twitter anymore, okay? This is about the fact that we do not have the First Amendment. As long as this infrastructure exists, we do not have the First Amendment. We may think we do, we may all get hip hip hooray, let's fight for the Constitution, but I'm here to tell you the truth and the the fact, we've lost the First Amendment. We've lost it. And it took an immigrant who came to this country. My dad, when we came to this country, I still remember, 
I landed here. I left India on my seventh birthday. And I asked my dad, why did we leave India? He said, freedom. He said, America gives you freedom. And that's why my parents and I came here. But we don't have that anymore. We don't have it. Look at this infrastructure. And I want everyone to understand, look at this infrastructure. And everything here is publicly available. I'm just the engineer who put it together with the help of a lot of people. But every diagram, every picture, every line there is publicly available. What do these defendants want to do? They have written a motion to strike. They are using the one week delay as we switch lawyers as, as though some major thing took place to tell the judge that I should be sanctioned, right? I should be punished for doing that. Lynched, you know, in their view, quote unquote. And these people want to tell the judge the entire complaint, by the way, the complaint is also, let me go to the complaint. If you read the complaint, you know, 75 pages, I had to do it on my own, you know, and our lawyer directed me, our new one. And if you read this, it says, this case is about the government surveilling, blacklisting a minority. And by the way, many of these people, the attorneys on the other side are the ones who use pronouns and claim they're for social justice, but they silenced a minority, dark-skinned political candidate who was running for Senate. And then eventually silencing his speech in the midst of his US Senate campaign because he criticized government officials, thereby violating his first amendment. That's what this case is about. So this case from September to, what would it be in August now? It has progressed, it has blossomed, it has gone to the quantum nuclear level to understand that we do not have the first amendment in this country. And I want all of you to wake up to that. I want all of you to go join, come to the Zoom hearing tomorrow. Everyone should participate. Go to the description, you click on the link, you have to register. I don't know how many limits they have, but the bottom line is this, we have lost the first amendment. And it, and I decided not to compromise any of my claims. It's not just about getting on Twitter anymore, everyone. It's not, it's far deeper than that. This is about the fact that we've lost freedom, the first amendment. It's the reason that your grandparents came here or your great grandparents came here. It's people, we came here because why is freedom important? because freedom allows us to debate and discourse and disagree, not a bunch of freaking people here deciding at Harvard. These people decide, get to decide what is misinformation and disinformation. No, it is you and I in the marketplace of ideas, we hash things out. And that is real diversity. These people are the real racists. They have black and white and yellow people. They'll talk about stop Asian hate but they do not want someone like me because when they look at me, they have their own racist stereotype. They want me to be the Indian who shakes his head, okay, very much, I'll do whatever you want, okay? They're the racists. 
But homie, don't play that game. I'm not willing to play that game because I'm compelled by the love I have for this country and the love I have for all of you and how much this country has given to me and my family and everyone. And the important point here is very simple. Do we still value the First Amendment? It's that simple. And the establishment, I believe, thinks that the American people no longer value it. That's why they do it so openly. They're not even hiding any of this, guys. They're not even hiding it. All that whole diagram, they're out in the open. I mean, go read this long fuse report. It says that we got to figure out a way to subvert the Second Amendment. It says it there in black and white to suppress domestic speech. Freedom is gone. It's not, don't question it, Fern, it is gone. That's why when you go to our site, winbackfreedom.com, I'm not like Trump, excuse me, all you Trumpers out there, I gave a lot of money to Trump, supported him, but he makes money off talking about a, a real problem but delivering a fake solution. We filed our lawsuit first, then he filed some lawsuit, right, Ken? Mm -hmm. Never has even talked about ours. Tucker Carlson doesn't talk about rent. They don't want to talk about the real issue here because these are all their friends, guys. These are the people two steps away they have martinis with. You go look at that diagram, they'll talk about it a year later, but they won't talk about it now, what we've discovered here. This will come down to you wanting to decide, do you want the First Amendment? This will come down to the court wanting to decide. It's out of my hands at this point. I've done everything. I've done everything. So tomorrow is in some ways D-Day. It is going to determine, we will know where this country's headed tomorrow. But I will not compromise any of the claims in that lawsuit. We want these people to be held accountable. This is a civil RICO conspiracy, as our lawsuit alleges. These people have created an infrastructure to suppress my speech, your speech. I was a canary in the coal mine. They tested it on me and, and, and you know, this lays it out. They said we were surveillancing Dr. Shiva. Next time it'll be basically, if we allow this to occur, what this means is that election officials can take out any political candidate they want. That's what this means. So the opposition, what I wanted to update you on, wants them to seal the lawsuit. They want them to hide all of this. They want to put the elephant under the rug. That's what they want. And the question to you is, what do you think about that? And if you're against it, go to winbackfreedom.com. Symbolically, just donate $1, just one. I mean, I've been doing all this work myself, okay? So it's really up to us and it's up to us. Whatever happens in that, whatever the court decides, the court must decide. But what we've discovered here, we must educate every American at this point. We must educate every American of this diagram with this lawsuit, the fact that they've created the infrastructure and don't look to Tucker Carlson or Trump or P 
people like Glenn Greenwald, they always come, you know, like 10 years later, they watch which way the wind blows. Okay, let me talk about that. I'll get some views and I'll look popular. They don't do it when it's necessary. So that's what I have to share. So I got a big day tomorrow and I hope it's a big day for all of us. So go to winbackfreedom.com, study this, go read the complaint. I put it in the description for everyone. If you want to be an active citizen, go to truthfreedomhealth.com. I want to play you a video that I've shared before and I'll end this. I think I have it here. And I want all of you to consider every Monday evenings I teach a class on how to understand systems, how to how we build a movement for truth, freedom, and health. And I want all of you to consider going to that class, being part of citizen journalism, being part of becoming active. Because ultimately, if you look at what's going on social media, the future is going to be offline. They're watching everything we do, guys, and they're surveillancing us and they're blacklisting us and censoring us. The future is going to be offline, you connecting with your neighbors. And do not look to the left or the right. Please don't look to Trump or Bernie Sanders. Don't waste your time. And if you don't understand that, then you have to learn why. And I'll teach you why. But let me play this for allowed our country to be taken over from within. And the end goal is you will have a homogenized world where we will become slaves because there is a condition among the elites that really thinks they're better than you, deep down inside them, that you don't deserve the freedoms you have. They don't. This reality is what people need to wake up to. And we need to all unite working people. There's only one movement that can do that. Mm-hmm. And that is the movement that we started creating here in Massachusetts, the movement for truth, freedom, and health. Look, I've been a student of politics since I was a four-year-old kid, studying revolutionary movements, left-wing, right-wing. There's a physics, there's a nuclear science to destroying the establishment. To build a bridge, you need to understand Newton's equation. You need to understand the laws of gravity. You need to understand Poisson's ratio. There is a way to build a revolution. And that's why I put this together. My goal is to train a army of truth, freedom, and health leaders. We don't need followers like social media. We need leaders, but they, they need training because the educational system does not teach them history, nothing. So in three hours, that's what I've started doing. That's the solution. We got to train people. First with understanding what a system is. The second is understanding the interconnection between truth, freedom, and health. Freedom is the ability to move freely, communicate freely, right? Talk freely. Without freedom, you cannot convert ideas, hypothesis into truth, which is science. And without freedom, you can't really get to truth. And without truth, you make up fake problems and fake solutions, which means you destroy our health. And without health, which is the infrastructure of us and our body, you can't fight for freedom. Third concept is it has to be bottoms up, working people, people who work uniting. And what the right wing has done is whenever you say working people unite, that must be communist. Meanwhile, they've let the Democrats run unions, which suppress workers, completely corrupt. But when you look at the arc of American history, it's been when working people came up. We need to go local. Every solution I'm coming up with as a part of this movement, we're giving the science, which is the truth, and then we tell people what they can do on the ground. Like with election fraud, you don't need to wait for some lawyer. Our goal is to train people, Dave, to go local, to go local, to go local, fight locally. Forget lawyers, forget politicians, forget celebrities. You've got to learn politics. 
and there is a science to it. They lock us down, we should be ready to shut them down. And the fourth part of this principle is a not so obvious establishment. So when you look at a system, there's always something that disturbs you from getting to your goal. Well, the biggest disturbance is a not so obvious establishment, which are those people who claim they're for you on the left and the right. The Al Sharptons who tell black people I'm for you. The Tucker Carlson's. Do you think any true anti-establishment person will ever be on Fox or CNN? I don't think so. They both mislead working people back into the establishment. Without this solid understanding of political physics and theory, you're screwed. You're going to follow on the, the left wing, Bernie Sanders. Oh, he said something. Or Robert Kennedy. Scumbags. Or you're going to follow, you know, some right wing talk show host. They're not going to lead us to liberation. It's us. And that political physics, it's a nuclear science of change. Bottoms up. We have to organize to understand that there is people who talk a good game and then look at what they actually do, left and right. I'm sorry, Sean Hannity may say some good things, but I don't see the urgency in his voice to get something done. And it can only come when you weaponize yourself with the right knowledge. You need to be able to identify a rat. You know, Christ didn't go after the Romans, right? It was the Pharisees and the Sadducees who screwed him up his own quote-unquote people and that's where we're at so these four concepts I've built into a curriculum people can go to bashiva.com and it's an educational program we need to train people in political theory you need to have physics and I've created that curriculum people need to get educated we need to get educated fast and within a half an hour an hour I can teach people two years of MIT control systems I teach people those concepts then I apply it anyone can understand it and then you say, oh, I got to build a bottoms up movement. They have to get politically astute and then they have to go locally and act, not sit there on social media. They have to act locally, defy locally, be, do civil obedience locally, but with knowledge on how to build a movement. And the Senate campaigns expanded to the movement for truth, freedom and health, and they can find it on V as in Victor A. Shiva, vashiva.com. So people can sign in, they can get access to a bunch of videos. If they want to take a course and become a truth, freedom, health leader, I offer a full scholarship there. But we want people to make a commitment that they'll study, that they'll get certified, that they'll go do activities on the ground. So go to VA Shiva, Victory America Shiva, VAShiva.com. All right, everyone, I hope this was valuable. I hope you um, all recognize that we have to come together. We have to learn the foundational principles of truth, freedom, and health. We have to learn the foundations of systems, and we have to build a movement that's independent of both of these parties, beyond left and right, beyond black and white. We as working people need to unite to win truth, freedom, and health. So thank you, everyone. Uh, I look forward to seeing you and keeping you updated, but this is a immensely important time um, for all of us to learn how to not only fight, but understand what's actually going on, to see things as they are and let go of our illusions. Once there is no First Amendment, which is what's happened, there is no America, period. And that's where we're at right now. So we're at a very critical point. And the critical point is an opportunity for everyone to raise their consciousness and get off their butt and learn. Thank you. Be well. Have a good night.